Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, a podcast that helps marketers navigate the news, trends, opportunities, and insights surrounding Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, Alberto. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing, uh, I am doing very fine this uh, afternoon. So tell me, what uh, brings you here? Well, I'm ready to dig into the news. I was just uh, looking at some other news. Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a new car, maybe. Uh, my, my wife and I have been traveling a little bit, and we've been renting different cars, and so we've been looking at new cars. But you know the thing about cars is they're incredibly expensive. Even middle-range cars are just ridiculously expensive. So it could be a little while before I get a new car, but I'm looking for one. So if you, if you know of any cars, let me know. Yeah, there's something going on with uh, with cars these days. And uh, I think that I'm coming down a bit, but uh, still a long way to go. Yeah. Well, speaking of cars, I think we have a news item related to these things, right? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I thought you were going to say something else about uh, the car. I thought you were going to say something like, well, since I cannot buy a real car, maybe I buy a digital car, which would have been a very good intro, actually, to our first piece of news. Uh, because Oh, well, uh, well, hold on. Wait, do you have a digital car for me? Well, of course. Well, tell me about it. Yes. So do you remember Hot Wheels? Of course I remember Hot Wheels. I'm dating well, myself, I, but of course... <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that these cars were kind of fun, but they didn't last. So I don't know. I have a, I have a uh, kind of like mixed, um, mixed, mixed memories with uh, with this uh, Hot Wheels thing. Anyway, these Hot Wheels they belong to Mattel, and uh, I will. This will become relevant as I move forward. Anyway, Hot Wheels is uh, introducing a new NFT collection, right? So they are selling digital versions of uh, cars that, well, some of them existed, some of them completely, completely made up, but some of them really existed. Like for instance, the Jeep Wagoneer, which uh, I have no idea this, this was a car, but uh, from the past, they, they, they also offer some NFTs with uh, uh, cars like the Vintas 19, 80 I, th I think that's that was a dodge car and there's a dodge car called <laughs> i need to say this one there was a dodge macho power i don't know how is i don't know if this is gonna fly with your wife if you can buy a macho power car a macho power wagon sorry car uh i think it may be it may be a hard sell anyway so hot wheels is launching this um, this nft series it's actually the number six and the reason why we didn't cover this before is well, will become apparent later because now there's one more reason to talk about this anyway so they're launching this sixth uh, series of uh, nfts cars uh, this one in particular um it covers uh, hondas aston martins and uh, mclarens and also as i said some other uh, iconic collectibles like uh, the macho power always uh, always in my mind forever from now uh, so so they're basically selling these nfts and um i want to talk a bit about the the value in the future of these digital items versus the physical items. But uh, before we move on with that, uh, I want to hear your, your first thoughts. Okay, so let me break this down uh, just to make sure I understand. So the brand Hot Wheels, which 
anybody who's got a couple of decades behind them <clears throat> knows what those are. They're the little toy cars um, originally made out of die cast. See, I have a different memory of these things. You said you, you didn't think that they lasted. But when I was a kid, Hot Wheels, like they were what you wanted because they were made of metal and they would last forever. Um, they also hurt really bad when you step on them. Um, and they could be used as weapons if you threw them at people. Uh, but that being said, Hot Wheels, the brand, is getting into or has already gotten into the NFT game with their NFT garage. And they have this new series, Series 6, which is going to cover new brands like Honda, Aston Martin, and McLaren. And so if you're an enthusiast, a Hot Wheel enthusiast, a car collector, just somebody who likes cars, you can get these NFTs. Um, and it's a virtual version that's similar to their toys. So I saw a picture of these things and the NFT looks like the package of the, of the toy. Um, so, and you know, the collector that the Hot Wheels collector mentality is like, you don't open the package. And so if you're collecting Hot Wheels, you have them in their pristine packages. You see this with a lot of collections, you know, comic book collectors, they'll put them. Also in saves you nice from stepping sleeves. on them. Saves you from stepping on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the virtual version is like the perfectly preserved version of the toy. And then it looks like they've got uh, a bunch of different kind of iconic uh, vehicles. By the way, I can't believe you don't know what the Jeep Wagoneer is. That is, I, I keep telling my wife I'm going to have one someday and she's completely opposed to it. She hates that vehicle. Um, they recently, more, by the way, more than they reintroduced. <laughs> well, that's a good question. But the Jeep reintroduced the Wagoneer recently, and it's it's over a hundred thousand dollar car. So well, it looks like the NFT version is in my future. Um, <laughs> well, you can you case, can go for the Macho Power, and if she says no, then you go for the Wagoneer, and that's a better sell. Oh, I like it. Backup plan. <laughs> All right, so we've got the basics. We've got NFTs of toy cars that people are collecting in this NFT garage experience. It's created by Hot Wheels, the Mattel brand. All right, now let's talk about what's underneath all of this. Because I think, you know, getting back to your point, this is all about selling brand IP, intellectual property, and maybe what the future of toys and collectibles looks like. Right, yeah. So as I said, this is series six. So we'll come a bit late to the party. But the reason why this is making it to the podcast today and not before is because I recently listened to a podcast from uh, Blind Boy. It's a, it's a person who's called... Artistic name is Blind Boy. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's got a very nice uh, Irish accent, much better than mine, of course. And um, he was talking about uh, the movie, the movie Barbie, which uh, I, I guess you know about. Everybody knows about this movie. It made a huge splash in the cinemas, and everybody was talking about it for a while. So he was talking about this, and he was explaining why this movie came to happen, and. Um, I was basically saying that Mattel, the, the, the company that owns uh, the Barbie brand, figured out that uh, they weren't selling as many toys, physical toys, as before. And uh, we've seen this also with Toys R Us uh, going bankrupt. So toys are not living their best lives these days. And Mattel figured this out, right? I was, they, they have very good info, I bet. And um, they thought, okay, what is what can we do to our with our products and maybe repackage them and, and sell them in a, in a way that people like it. People like them, right? And uh, they figured that maybe selling, um, creating movies with their IP 
that could be an interesting way of uh, using their property to to a new for a new different for a new um, um, for a new life or for a, for a new kind of a product. And this is how the Barbie movie came to happen. And they are planning on a Hot Wheels movie, uh, planning all kinds of uh, movies uh, from their IP. I think uh, He-Man is also part of the IP from from Mattel. And will they have plenty of um, toys they can make movies about? So basically, the whole point was. Okay, Mattel has IPs and uh, that are very valuable, and not only Mattel. A lot of companies have uh, IPs that are va- valuable and that sold a lot in the past and may not be selling so much these days. And they may be looking for ways in which they can repackage this IP and sell it again. And uh, that's why when I came across this um, this Hot Wheels um, NFT collection, I thought, well, Web three is a very nice place for you to to do this right if you have you're a company with a nice ip web3 is like probably one of the best places where you can go now to test whether you can uh, whether you can uh, sell this ip in a different package in this case well in an nft package uh, that uh, it w- will forever be <laughs> forever be uh, pristine because you will never be able to open it anyway that that, that was the whole uh, the whole idea and uh, I think I think it makes sense, and I think these uh, experiments, such as this one, uh, I think uh, they're going to be we're going to be seeing a lot more of this. Yeah, so there's there's actually a bunch of interesting stuff to dig into here. So I want to talk about the customer uh, perspective on this. Uh, we, we had an interview elsewhere on the pod uh, with David Yu from Vivi. They're a collectibles. Uh, they're actually a, a whole separate uh, collectible platform. And one of the interesting things that came up in that conversation is that uh, David actually started his business because he started the, the NFT collectible side of things because he had a traditional game store. And this is a brick and mortar game store where he would sell all kinds of collectibles and comic books and games and things. And when we started digging into who his customer is, you know, you think about toys, you think about games, and I think a lot of people immediately go to kids and they're like, okay, well, your customer is a kid or a young adult. And interestingly enough, his customer is actually um, like a middle-aged man (laughs) and generally, you know, a middle-aged man who's like, you know, has a pretty solid career, has disposable income, could be a doctor, a lawyer, some, you know, professional of some sort. And what's interesting is that with this IP, things like Hot Wheels that are attached to nostalgia, you know, people that can look back and say, oh, I remember that brand. There's an interesting opportunity here, I think, for brands to rekindle that sort of affinity for these legacy toys, right? Legacy IP. And so thinking about the pattern here, you know, how does a brand look at their IP catalog and say, who was our customer 20 years ago? And how do we use Web3 to engage them today? Because maybe now they they have kids and a full career and a family and they don't have time to, <laughs> they don't have a room full of toys, um, and they're probably not going to go out and buy those toys, but it transports them back to a moment in time. They remember those things. There's some sort of uh, sentimental value and they would be willing to spend, you know, 20, 30, $40 on a digital collectible that then goes into their own little showcase, their NFT garage, where they can collect these things and they can just enjoy those for for what they are. It's a, it's a moment from their past. So I think that's one aspect of this. There's the customer of yesterday who is the customer today for this IP in a web three context. I think there's another direction here though, which is maybe more of the, the Barbie buyer of the future, which is 
is there a path here now where IP is created and actually born on the blockchain? It's born in a Web3 experience and it never actually turns into a physical product. You know, when we think about things like Fortnite and Roblox, and we think about these digital collectibles that will inevitably make their way into these virtual worlds, is there a path here where a brand just creates a character or creates a narrative and creates these collectibles? And that actually is the thing, the quote unquote thing, right? There is no physical counterpart. It is entirely in a virtual world. And that's how it's experienced. And it's actually created for that kind of interaction. So I think there's a lot here that brands can start thinking about when it comes to how do they monetize their IP? How do they think about their IP in new ways and in ways that are going to be both sort of, you know, compatible with yesterday's buyer and compatible with tomorrow's customer? Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of items that could be created for Web3 and could be natives, you know, like uh, Barbie Web3. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking of this and, uh, when, you were, when you were speaking, and um, I, I'm not sure. We will see what happens. But, uh, but yes, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. And, um, and this takes me to the next uh, piece of news because I think they are somewhat related. Uh, we, we will see how we get there. But So the second piece of news for today is about uh, watches, and very fine and luxury watches. Uh, in particular, uh, watches from this company called Panerai, which uh, I had no idea because I guess I am too poor to know, to know about uh, this, uh, this uh, brand of uh, watches. Anyway, they're Italian, and they're an Italian watch uh, manufacturer, and they have um, launched this um, digital passport that will come alongside any new sales of Panerai watches. So now when you buy a watch from Panerai, because I know you do it every week, uh, when you buy uh, one of these um, watches, you will also receive a digital uh, passport that will talk or that will um, certify the history of this of this watch. It will be like the ID of the watch and it will live in the blockchain forever to be seen. And um, well, customers will have this um, this passport uh, similar to, to like a, this bill of warranty or authenticity that you get but this in this case it will live in the in the blockchain so every, it will be uh, something that you will probably not forget or, or lose because this is basically what happens with all those authenticity papers that you receive unless you paid I don't know 200,000 for something maybe you want to keep the authenticity paper in this case anyway this is what's happening with the Panerai watches and um I don't know. I want to listen to what you think about this before before we move uh, to the to the um, ideas behind this. Yeah, you know, I, I think over the past six or seven years, I've seen this sort of idea with the blockchain over and over again, which is how do you use blockchain technology to basically certify um, the origin and then the provenance of goods, whether that's a luxury watch or a handbag or even things like supply chain, right? There have been uh, programs to do the same thing with food supply so that you know exactly, you know, the source of, for instance, a, a, a piece of meat that then makes it through the food supply chain. There are a lot of reasons and a lot of benefits for doing it this way. It, it comes down to things like making sure that you have full visibility into how goods get from raw material to the consumer's hands. You know, there are ethical questions at play um, in a lot of the things that we're using every day and conscious consumers have an interest in understanding the origin of their goods, including the treatment of the people involved in making those goods. And so 
by certifying the origin of a good, by certifying the history of that good and the hands that it's passed through and using blockchain technology to create checkpoints along the way, I think that's one solid step towards giving people more visibility into how things come into the world and whether or not they want to be consumers of those things. And so I think that there's you know, a, a pretty strong benefit to many stakeholders when we look at a situation like this. Um, in the case of a luxury watch, there are also things like certifying the buyer that come to mind. And, and what I mean by that, um, I actually recently learned this, that if you want to buy a Rolex watch, for instance, you can't just go out and buy one. Uh, you can't go to the store and just buy a Rolex. You get on a wait list and that wait list can be years long. Um, maybe you know somebody, maybe you don't, but it can take a long time to actually be able to purchase a Rolex. And a lot of luxury goods are that way because luxury manufacturers want to maintain a level of exclusivity. And they also want to make sure that their buyers have an appreciation for their product. You know, there's a bit of a moat around their entire business when it comes to the uh, panache that's associated with owning their items. And so there is this idea that if you have a passport with a luxury item and you start collecting the passports of your luxury items, that a, a seller can actually look at you as a buyer and say, oh, you know what? You're a committed customer. We're going to bump you to the top of the list or we're going to give you early access to the next uh, version of this watch. Um, so there, there are a lot of ways you could use this technology, I think, to benefit both the, the supplier um, and the end user. But I think that this is a use case that we're going to see over and over again. And I'm, I'm glad to see this approach is maturing. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Step3, an engagement marketing platform that helps brands build deeper customer relationships. Step3 makes it easy to design custom branded membership programs that include rewards like exclusive content, VIP event passes, merchandise, discounts, and more. Unlock new revenue streams and enhance customer lifetime value with Step3's easy-to-use no-code tools. Go to step3.io to learn more. Yeah, I really like your angle. That, that angle is a lot better than the angle that uh, this news was coming with. Because, well, I will get into that in a second. But when you were telling that story about committed clients to brands, uh, it reminded me, I was at the Ferrari Museum this, this summer. And uh, I, I could see one of the Ferrari Enzos they have. Uh, so Enzo is a type of Ferrari they created to uh, well, commemorate the, the creator of the Ferrari brand. And you couldn't just buy a Ferrari Enzo when it came out. You needed to have five Ferraris to be able to right. order one. <laughs> so, so unless you had five of the, five of them already, you, you weren't even considered to purchase one of these, uh, one of these Ferraris. So yeah, you, you need to show that, uh, that yeah, you, you were a huge Ferrari fan. And, um, and yes, so. I think this is a thing and it's, it, it could be a lot easier with something like uh, yeah, using Web3 for this. Uh, however, the, the angle that the company was, uh, Panerai in this case, the angle that the company was uh, taking here uh, was a bit different. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure what Panerai was trying, trying to do with this, but they were suggesting that this could be a nice um, entry to start participating in secondary market transactions because so they know that their panel watches uh, have a second life uh, and they are traded afterwards 
And they were thinking, well, this uh, this um, this digital passport can help us uh, with with these second with these second lives of the of the watch and potentially profit from uh, from um, change from this changing of hands of Panerai watches after they've been sold initially from the from the company to the to the first user. And um, well, I don't think I love that if that's what, what they're going for. I do like. What you were suggesting, but uh, well, what do you think about this uh, royalties uh, royalties uh, idea for for companies like uh, like this one? Yeah, so I mean, the entire uh, NFT space has seen quite a bit of controversy around this notion of royalties. I think royalties at the beginning of uh, the whole uh, NFT craze. I think people really got excited about royalties and this idea that as a creator, you can earn a bit of every sale in perpetuity. And in some cases, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? When you have the creator, an artist who's creating, you know, unique pieces of work and is putting all of their time and love and energy uh, into something creative, I think that makes sense. Um, and I think that's actually a piece of the creative life that is missing in the world today. It's, it's, you know, the classic reason why you have starving artists because they can't actually make a living from their creativity. And I think that, you know, things royalties in this case do help solve that issue. However, in a case where you have a watch manufacturer or you have this entity who's creating a good or creating brand IP, for instance, I think there's a big question mark around how long and how much compensation is appropriate for a corporation that is obviously generating revenues through the direct sale of their products. They probably have other ways to make their business sustainable. And, you know, furthermore, the royalties, is that actually going to a creator or is that just going into the coffers of a corporate entity and there's no real attribution to the original seed of creativity? And so I think we're going to find a balance as a space. I think we've, we went, you know, completely... Uh, off off the cliff in one direction with royalties. And I think we're going to walk that back and realize that there was a time and a place. And sometimes royalties forever make a lot of sense. And sometimes royalties, sensible royalties for a limited amount of time with limited rights um, are more appropriate. Yeah, we will see where where that goes. Uh, I think there's, well, as you say, as you say, I think there's a, there's a market for everybody and for everything. Some people will be on board with this some people will not and i think the market will provide solutions to to both but uh, but yes what you were saying before about being able of uh, demonstrating that you're a client in, a, in an easy way and be able to show that uh, you've been with this brand forever um and and making this or, or earning access to to special things because of this uh, history of you with the brand, I think that makes a lot more sense, and everybody will be on board with. That. I think that in this case there's no there's no there's no friction. Companies want to reward their their old customers, customers that love their brand want to continue to be related to to it. So yeah, I don't see any friction in there. Will we well, see friction? Sorry, I was I was introducing already the third one, but uh, I will let you. I, 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 I know, and I, I want to I want to pause you real quick because I do think that there's another angle here um, with these passports and attaching a digital item to a physical item, um, and that that comes down to community. So when you think about luxury items, you generally have communities that develop around items, right? You have people that love these things, and your example of Ferrari. 
there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of Ferrari car clubs in the world where you have Ferrari owners and Ferrari enthusiasts or aspiring owners who get together and they drive their car someplace or they go on a drive together and then they, you know, maybe go for a happy hour or whatever. And, and they talk about their cars. It's, they love the brand. And the interesting thing with luxury goods like watches is you're going to wear one watch maybe, right? But maybe you have 20 more in your closet. And so when you're getting together with other watch enthusiasts or you're getting into a conversation about the watches you own, this is an interesting way to be able to kind of show off your collection, right? In a way that is certified. It's it's not just a picture on your photo roll. It's this is the passport for the watch that I own. And now it's an interesting way for traders and enthusiasts to be able to compare notes and show off their collections and create community, which we know is one of Web3's superpowers. So th there is something really interesting here. I think, you know, brands that are able to connect the dots between their physical products and the affinity for those things and drawing a circle around the people who share those uh, really emotions for the products to create communities and, and interactions. Another very cool angle. I think you should talk to the Panerai people. <laughs> you can't really give them some very fine ideas. Uh, or better yet, you could go on TV and talk about this. Uh, there's probably room for you now in a new TV show that's been announced. Uh, collaboration between CoinMarketCap and the Hello Labs. CoinMarketCap, I think everybody knows, is the place you used to go all the time to watch the, the price of uh, your tokens. Um, I, I don't know if uh, it's so big anymore, but uh, by, back then, uh, I think uh, one or two years ago, it was um, all the rage. So CoinMarketCap and Hello Labs got together and they've created this TV show called Killer Whales, which is kind of like a shark tank uh, from Web3 kind of a TV show. So basically, uh, creators, uh, entrepreneurs will go there with their idea for a crypto Web3 protocol or Web3 um, company, and they will present their business and uh, see if they get any love from the from the hosts and from the from the community as well from the from the watchers of the show which will be able to vote directly uh, on on this on this project so maybe i don't know if uh, maybe you could highlight some of these ideas <laughs> on, on this tv show uh, what do you think nick well I, I think i have my work cut out for me uh so yeah so this this shark tank for web3 killer whales it looks like it's going to stream across 55 countries It'll launch by the end of the year. Um, let's see. Killer Whales will present a fierce rivalry among Web3, global Web3 innovators while spreading light on the burgeoning crypto and NFT worlds. Uh, the show apparently embraces the bad rep and shows the good stuff as well. So we're going to see the highlights and the lowlights of the crypto industry um, from the NFT store, from the NFT to the store, from computers to TV. Um, we're, we're going to really see how this space is moving very quickly. And so I, I know you have something to say about that, but I, I do think there's an interesting opportunity here, which is crypto, you know, let's be honest, it has a bad rep right now. It has a lot of reputational issues, mainly related to some of the bad actors in the space. You know, the, the FTX trial that's going on with Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, it's, it's headline news all over the world. There are so many people that have been hurt by that situation and it's incredibly unfortunate and it's left just a, a big black mark on in the industry. But we say this over and over again on the show, 
you know, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't write off the technology because there are some bad actors in the space. There are bad actors in every space. And if we took that approach with technology and innovation, we would probably still be rolling rocks up hills, right? We wouldn't have any of the things that we have. Um, so we, we've got to be able to see past some of the uh, some of the bad apples and be able to look at, you know, where does this technology take us when we start embracing the upside? So what I do like about this is, you know, it has the potential to let's just kind of let the air out and let's talk about this. Right. And we can do it in a fun way in a reality TV format that people are familiar with. We can poke a little fun. We can, you know, reflect on some of the stupidity, <laughs> let's call it that's happened in the space. Um, but at the same time, that's an opportunity to say, okay, well, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about what's actually here. You know, what's the underlying technology? How does this enable other technological innovations like AI? You know, how do we use this as a force for good? How do we enable more people with more access and more, more ownership uh, all over the world? So, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm curious to see where this goes. What do you think? No, I think I think you made a very, very good point. And um, I'm going to somehow connected to connected to the to the uh, some bankman some bankman freed uh trial that is happening um as we speak because yeah i think uh, I'm, I'm talking in general of course but uh, yeah i think the perception of uh web3 and crypto can be of uh um hackers and um i don't know like web terrorists <laughs> that get together and try to scam everybody and um i mean that's basically not true and and uh, for the most part this is just a bunch of kids sometimes a bunch of guys uh, uh, that are trying things and sometimes breaking things and um and connecting this to the samba manfred of course i don't know if I don't know what's going to happen in there, and uh, I, I don't know either if uh, the guy is um, uh, is going to be guilty or not. But uh, but his his defense uh, is basically based on the idea of well, uh, we just uh, did something wrong without really knowing what we were doing, right? Uh, I don't know if that, that that's maybe just just his defense, but uh, I think that this point is valid for a lot of whatever happened in uh, in web3 and crypto that get that um, got some of this bad rep for the whole industry i think people were just trying things and uh, the thing is that some of these things really got traction and um, made a lot of money and then a lot of this money disappeared and this made the whole thing this and the fact that most people don't understand web3 or, or didn't at least uh, two or three years ago i think this uh, created this image of uh, um darkness uh, around around uh, web3 and and crypto which where uh, whereas this didn't happen with uh, programs like shark tank so before before shark tank was a thing um entrepreneurs in web2 didn't get this bad rep probably because most people um well most most of most of the uh, projects or entrepreneurs in web2 weren't making uh, you know the amount of money that got um, got created in in crypto and web3 and uh, it was probably easier to understand uh, what was happening in there but uh, at the end of the day it was probably the same kind of profile it was just uh, guys trying things out and sometimes uh, screwing up and sometimes uh, not <laughs> and, uh, and yeah i think i think that's the whole idea and, and in when when people watch this tv show or other tv shows right is that will come up um in uh, talking about uh, web3 and crypto they, they will see that is 
pretty it's pretty innocent uh, for the most part of course uh, in some cases there there's there's uh, bad actors like everywhere else yeah that's a great point you know i think we saw the same thing with the financial crisis and you know the global financial meltdown uh, a decade ago like there is this demonization that happens when we have crises and people it, you know, understandably, they, they, they want to place blame and, and blame should be placed, you know, in the case of, of FTX, we've got to figure out and get to the bottom of that. But along the, the way, you know, during the great financial crisis, we saw some of the same sort of attitude changes where people were just completely writing off the, you know, finance writ large, right? Like, it's just, it's all bad. And that's not to say that we didn't learn lessons and that there aren't a lot of things that need to be fixed. But there are also nuances that I think as people learn more about the situation, they get the backstory, it, it paints a different picture and takes us to a different perspective that we can use to evaluate, is this technology the bad thing or is it just people uh, making bad decisions? So great point. Yeah, I think it's important to, to tell these stories like we do here in this podcast and uh, we finished, we're done for today. Uh, these were the three pieces of news. I don't know if you want to share some takeaways from this uh, from this show. I think um, the the IP, uh, so I, I will share them. <laughs> I'll probably take all of yours, but uh, I, I want to say just a couple of things. So uh, I think uh, the, um, the the IP, um, the IP movement or, or the movement to, to sell some of the IP in Web3, I think that's going to be huge. I, I see this as... Um, a very low hanging fruit that is going to be um, used uh, and taken advantage of. Uh, the regarding the the Panerai idea a story, I think I, I will I will let you talk about this one because I think those two uh, angles that you commented on I think they're very important to be to be stressed again. And uh, and finally, we're going to be seeing a lot of this on TV, and uh, it's going to be a lot less crazy or look a lot less uh, uh, harmful once we once we we see this on tv with a different uh, with a different uh, perspective but yeah so what, what is your takeaway from today yeah I'll, I'll leave with the uh the panerai story so you know i think to your point there's a lot of different ways that this technology can enable better experiences for customers and whether that's by giving us more visibility into where things come from so that we can make conscious decisions as con consumers, or whether that's us actually being able to prove that we are, uh, we're actually supporters of a brand and that we want to be in the inner circle with other enthusiasts. There are a lot of different ways that this technology, this being Web3 technology, blockchain, can support these kind of new sort of ideas about what it means to be both a, uh, a brand and a consumer. So. You know, at the bottom of all of this, Web3 is an enabling technology. It is not the highlight so much as it is it's the supporting actor, the same way as the Internet, right? The Internet created so many opportunities, but the Internet in and of itself doesn't do anything unless you put things on top of that. And I think we're in the same place with Web3. So um, looking forward to seeing more stories like this that really highlight the potential of where this technology goes. Definitely. Okay, good to see you, Nick. Till next time. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web 3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app.